tongues? Yeah. It's all about his grace. It's never been about what we deserve, whether we think we do or not. It's his grace. Continuing a message this morning on breaking up stony ground. God wants us to live a life that's full. He says, I have come that you might have life and have it to the full. That's that's his plan. That's what he wants. But there's often stony ground that needs to be plowed. Last week we looked at one area, which is the area of possessions and materialism. And today we're looking at one that uh, I think trips up God's people as much as any. That's the area of worry. And we continue on in Matthew chapter 6, 25 through the end of the chapter. I'm going to ask you to stand in our great God's honor. Starting at verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow, is thrown in the fire, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Let's pray. Father, we have, most of us have read these verses before. But we confess so often it doesn't help, Lord. Just an honest confession as we come before you this morning. Help us dig up some unplowed ground, Lord. I believe there's some here who may be, Father, just controlled by worry. Not able to rest, no peace, no joy. Father, I pray we'd be reminded that our hope does not depend on anything but you. Just work, Father, through your word to speak way beyond what I say. Holy Spirit, we give you freedom, Lord, to... Teach us your truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Wilson Misner, a playwright from the 1800s, said this, Life is a tough proposition, and the first hundred years are the hardest. 
life certainly has its difficulties. And if we are not careful, we can find ourselves paralyzed by worry, by taking something that should certainly get our attention and it becoming the focus of all our attention. Who hasn't laid up awake at night because of something that seems to just control you and paralyze you? John MacArthur, in his commentary on this section of Scripture, wrote these words, Worry is the sin of distrusting the promise and providence of God. And it is the sin that Christians commit perhaps more frequently than any other sin. In other words, worry makes us take sides with the enemy in concluding that God is not capable in his promises and not worthy of our trust and worship. Look at our opening verse here, verse 25 again. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you'll eat or drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Last week, we looked at this issue of possessions, of stuff, of of money that so often consumes God's people. And yet, when we're always trying to get enough, we never seem to get enough. But when we look to Him, we discover He is enough. And this morning, as, as we look at this area of worry, the very word in the Greek could be translated concern. So the idea here is this is something that should get our attention But it shouldn't capture and be the focus of all our attention. For example, it's the same word that's used in the book of 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 verse 28. Where Paul is openly praying and he said, you know, I am deeply moved by the churches that God has allowed me to impact with the gospel and, and to love. And he said, I find myself... Praying for them constantly. And he's using that same word. In Luke 14, Jesus tells us to count the cost. So yes, there we are to be concerned. And we should have our hearts and our minds focused. But this is where concern crosses a line. This is where concern moves from trusting God... Believing in God to putting the weight upon ourselves that somehow we must be in control and somehow we must fix it. The word we know as worry comes from an old German word that literally means to choke or to strangle. And it came later to give a picture of mental strangulation where it literally strangles out our other thoughts and tends to consume us. And this morning, we're going to look at defining the disease. We have five areas here, and let's just move through these. The first one is worry distorts our perspective. Notice there in verse 25, he said, the body's more than clothes. He says, "Um, 
And, and food is, is not the ultimate what we're seeking. In, instead, God will take care of us. He'll, he'll trust us. And often what we do with worry is we simply shout out that we are not trusting and believing God really takes care of us and that he really loves us. That, that's what we are declaring, whether we realize it or not. I, I came across uh, in my reading this week about a certain car that was used to escape Nazi Germany and into Switzerland by a family. And this particular car is uh, known as the Von Krieger Roadster. And a few years ago, they auctioned off one of the few that's still around. It's in tip-top shape. Imagine that you were able to go and be a part of that auction. Bidding starts at a measly $10 million. So, uh, I guess most, I guess we'd be out of it. But uh, let's just pretend we had the money and we could do it. And it was predicted that it could go up to as high as $16 million to buy this car. This great roadster. Beautiful Mercedes. Well, it actually sells for $11.4 million. That's what this car sold for. Let's say you pull out your checkbook. Sure enough, you just write that $11.4 million check. You start to hand it to the person so that this car will now be yours. But you say, well, wait a minute. What kind of mileage does this car get? I mean, you know, gas is really expensive. And if it's not going to get at least 25 miles to the gallon, I don't think I can afford the car. What? Hey, look, if you can pay $11.4 million for a car, you're not worried about the price of gas, are you? And when we begin to understand that we have a God that is bigger than any of our troubles, it changes our perspective. And we're able to see things differently. Number two, worry depreciates our worth. Uh, imagine the picture as Jesus is teaching in a natural amphitheater and there are birds all around flying. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? All these birds that are flying around, and he points to them. Although you may or may not notice them, our God takes care of them. He has placed inside of them that desire to gather up food that they will need at a later point. And how much more does he care about you, child of God? You're in his image. Jesus died on the cross for you. And he cares. Can you imagine, although it seems like in our culture we're living more this way, that there are animals that are more important than people. And animals, the value of an animal is placed above the value of a person. Imagine yourself in the streets of a town in India where you see all around you small children who are literally starving to death because they don't have enough food. And yet you see cows 
walking down the road who are considered to be sacred. And you think, man, there could be a lot of good hamburgers or steaks or or just a, a lot of good food to eat. But in that idolatrous culture, there, there is stolen that opportunity to help people who are starving to death. And when we worry, we don't look to the true source of the one who can meet our deepest, greatest needs, no matter what they are. And when we worry, we do not proclaim the fact that, man, God loves us. He made us. And we are precious unto Him. Thirdly, worry destroys productivity. <laughs> look at verse 27. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? There are actually um, some of the translations. It says, or add a single cubit to his height. I actually want to focus on that one a minute because you guys know I've always loved basketball. When I was younger, I liked to play basketball, but I had one problem. I'm short. I mean, I guess I could be shorter, but for basketball, I need to be a lot taller. Now, it wasn't always this way. Going into the eighth grade, I was the third tallest person in my class. The problem was I quit growing in the eighth grade. Sour grapes. Oh, well, so much for wanting to be a basketball player. (laughs) Imagine if you thought, man, if I just worry enough, I'm going to shoot up a foot and a half. But it doesn't work that way. And Jesus is reminding us, we don't add time to our lives. We don't grow in stature through worry. It does not accomplish anything. Someone has said it's like sitting in a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it never takes you anywhere. And I love this quote by A.S. Roche who said, Worry is a thin stream of fear trickling through our mind. And if encouraged, it will cut a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. And boy, it does. It can just become the consuming thought of our minds when worry takes over. It can't do anything else. It destroys our productivity. Number four, even worse, a fourth warning about worry. Worry denies our faith. Look at verses 28. Through 30. And do you not worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field. Which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you. You of little faith. My worry, your worry, robs us of God's worship. It robs God of the worship and it robs us of the joy that He gives us when we worship. When we humble ourselves and submit to Him, there is a joy that He provides. You know, He mentioned these wildflowers. They're, they're so beautiful. And, and But where did they end up in, in that culture in that day? Often they would end up uh, to heat the ovens. So that some cooking could occur. 
and we Baptists like cooking. But so that the cooking could occur, so they would heat the ovens in these beautiful flowers. Merely become a heating element. God has not forgotten us. God is aware of where we are. And we do not want to be robbed of what he wants us to have. And that's what happens when we worry. We don't trust God. We don't believe in God. Number five. Worry denounces our testimony. Verses 31 and 32. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. He knows. He knows what we need. G. Campbell Morgan, a preacher in England another generation ago, a lady came up to her after the service and asked him, Do you think God is interested in my little problems? And he said, Ma'am, do you think any of your problems to God are big or little? He can handle it all. He can handle it all. Uh, There was an article in my study I ran across in Atlantic Magazine where a guy was talking about why I hope to die at the age of 75. And he was basically on a pessimist rant about everything that is wrong around us. And we certainly hear a lot of pessimistic things around us. Sometimes we're just desperate to hear something positive, some blessing that there seems like it's hard to hear about. And in the article, the writer quoted another person, and here's what he said. <laughs> He said, even when not actively afflicted by acute episodes of anxiety, I am buffeted by worry. And here's how I've tried to deal with my anxiety. Individual psychotherapy, 30 years of it. Family therapy, group therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive philosophy, hypnosis, meditation, self-help books, message therapy, acupuncture, yoga, and medication. Lots of medication. Thorazine, Desipramine, Nardil, Prozac, Zoloft, Paxil, Celexa, Cymbalta, Lovevox, Trazodone, Transine, Cerex, Centrex, Xanax, Valium, Librium, Clonopin. Also, beer, wine, gin, bourbon, vodka, scotch. Here's what's worked. No. This guy was tortured. Why? Because he was spending all his time trying to forget. But as Christians, we spend all our time trying to remember, don't we? Remember the good news. Remember he died for us that through him we were able to live for him in obedience. And it makes all the difference. Now, as I close this thing out, we want to look at applying the antidote. How do we live so that worry doesn't choke out? The peace and the joy that God wants us to have. Well, this first, live with a sacred priority. Look at verse 33. Many of us know this verse. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be given to you as well. Me and Ajun, we sing a little chorus. Seek first you, kingdom of God, right? Um, we're to have a sacred priority. You guys got dogs. We got two very spoiled dogs, Panda and Jasmine. And as far as I can tell, Panda and Jasmine um, live for three main reasons. This is their goal in life. Number one is to sleep. They are really good at sleep. Number two is to be petted. I can sit down and uh, we call it being dogged. I find myself dogged. And they want to be petted and rubbed and scratched and, oh, it's good. Uh, Panda, who's trying to recover from uh, the flea on slaughter this time of year, Cindy's scratching her. She's, <laughs> said, she is in love. You know, <clears throat> it feels so good. But the third, and maybe the most powerful of the three, they live to eat. They love food. And if y'all have dogs, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, we sit down to eat. And if I look down at the floor, there are my two dogs, intensely looking at me with eyes, with extreme focus. And it appears to me they're saying something like, you know I'm starving to death. Can't you please just drop a little food off your plate in the floor next to me? Don't you love me? You have plenty. Okay, well, that's, that's my translation when I look at my dog's eyes of, of what I see. Well, there is a focus, man. <laughs> and God wants us to have a kingdom focus. God wants us to see things that last forever and not merely things that are quickly passing away. When that transition happens, it does away with a great deal of what we consider to be important and discover it's not. The verb actually is in the present tense, which means we need to do this all the time. It's not something we will do or something we've done. It needs to be something we are doing. And and one last priority, the second part of the antidote. Live within a simple boundary. Verse 34, therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble Of its own. In other words. God says. You know if you look at everything. The whole. It will just overwhelm you. So the idea is not to see everything. At one time. You know don't keep your mind focused on the past. Don't keep your mind focused on what might happen in the future. You need just one bite sized chunk. Which is today. May your focus be this moment. Not what you can't change that has happened, not what might possibly happen, but about now. That that needs to be your focus. Someone has said, um, if you bring yesterday's griefs and tomorrow's troubles and today's grace, you'll exceed the weight limit. (laughs) That's why God divided our lives into bite-sized chunks called days. Another author said, what does anxiety do? It does not empty yesterday of its sorrows, but it empties today of its strength. 
It does not make you escape the evils of tomorrow, but it makes you unable to handle it when it comes. So do not worry about tomorrow each day. It has enough weight of its own. Look to the grace he will supply you today. Let me close with this prayer, Puritan prayer. Heavenly Father, my faith is in thee. My expectation is from thee. I accept thy word. Acquiesce in thy will. Rely on thy promises. Trust thy providence. I have cast my anchor in the port of peace, knowing that past, present, and future are in nail-pierced hands. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We just confess, Father, help us trust you. Help us believe you. And as we deal with this issue of worry, boy, that is some ground that needs to be plowed up and Quite honestly, many of us need to keep plowing and plowing and plowing because it gets to be hard ground quickly. Father, I pray as we go to the second altar of the day, it is an altar of examination. We need to examine our hearts, Lord, to see where we are. It is an altar, Lord, of conviction. Lord, convict us, Father. Help us see where we need to repent, where we need to turn, Lord, to be in your plan and your will. Father, it is uh, it is an altar of devotion, Father. And are we where you want us to be in devotion to you, Lord? And of course, it is an it is a um, also, Father, an altar, Lord. Commitment to you. Father, what commitments do you want us to make as you work on our hearts, Lord? Do we need to make it where we stand? Do we need to come to this altar to pray? Do we need to um, come forward? Does something need to be shared with your people? Father, may we just obey what you are stirring us to do. And so, Father, as we stand and as we sing, may we just obey. In Christ's name, amen. Let's stand again.